Father in heaven, thank you for the men and women who place themselves at the forefront, in the front lines of caring for people. Lord, they love you so much, and they give themselves away this way. We ask that you protect them, that you guide them, that you give them discernment, that you give them wisdom, that you give them courage. Because, God, it takes all those things to serve your people in our communities well. Lord, I thank you for gathering us to worship you. God, you are doing some amazing work, and that's just the beginning, the tip of the iceberg of what you're continuing to do and what you're doing amongst us, God. I ask that you would inspire us to live faithfully, God, because the model that you give us to bear each other's burdens, God, we need strength to carry those burdens. Lord, I want to pray for those who are, who are wrestling with sin in, in their lives right now. God, if there's sin that is festering, that's unconfessed, that's covered, that's hidden, Lord, that's it's eating up their souls. God, give those men and women the courage to confess it. Let them confess it to somebody who's willing to walk with them and guide them towards healing and reconciliation, God. Lord, let the, the peace that washes over us with your blood give us the tears and allows room for us to find forgiveness. Lord, help us recognize your son in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 13. Now before the fast, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he, was, he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me, the one who sent me. It's the word of the Lord. How many hikers or campers do we have here? Raise your hand. 
Raise your hand. You like getting lost in the woods. You like getting bitten by animals and rodents and flying things, right? You love encountering wildlife. Heck, you might even like shooting wildlife, right? That's you. Raise your hand. Keep raising them. I need to see them. I need to see them, right? Oh, there's a lot few of you. I'm going to your house the next time I have a power outage, all right? Um, but, you, you know, that's, that's just to say this, this is where we are in society. But um, a few years ago, uh, a couple of friends of mine that I grew up with, we decided that we would go camping on a long weekend. It was going to solidify our friendships into adulthood, right? That was the rationale we had, right? And so, you know, without any preparation, because how do you prepare for a camping trip that you know nothing about, right? We, we booked tickets and we flew. We flew out to Colorado and we landed and we started driving, right? We started driving and I'm pretty sure when we got out of the airport, it was an interstate. And then as we continued to drive, it was a two-lane road. And then slowly but steadily, it was just a one-lane road, and then it just was a dirt path on the side of a face of a mountain with no egress except down. And did you know, when you get to the very top of the mountain, you start losing cell service, <laughs> right? And when you lose cell service, you also lose GPS, right? So you undoubtedly have no choice but to continue to follow the road until it stops, hopefully, if it does stop. And, you know, when your nerves are that racked, right, and you're just like driving up there and, you know, did you know when you get that high up and you're not really athletic or even just well exercised and all you do is sit in front of a computer, you get altitude sickness, like altitude sickness, you get sick from being that high up. And so when the driver starts having a hard time keeping up with his own breath, because he is sick to his stomach and now he's curving and, and just trying to keep up with the road and it... Everyone else in the car is sick. And so now all of you are sick trying to find this camping spot that you're supposed to be at. Only to find out that when you get to this camping spot, you have no way to fuel a fire. Like you need a lighter to light a fire, right? So we gathered all this wood thinking, hey, we can do this. And it's getting cold in the mountain. No one told us that in the summer that the mountains still get cold. <laughs> right? And so now we're, we're all in like, you know, athletic shorts trying to create this fire and we're just like... Oh, we're, we're in trouble. Who's, who wants to drive down? Who wants to drive down? But we can't because, guess what? It's pitch black outside, and nobody wants to know where we're going because this is where people go to die, right? And so now we're just like, oh, man, what do we do? What do we do? And, you know, thankfully, thankfully, and this is by the grace of God, there were some good Samaritans, and, you know, their kids who wanted to be Boy Scouts, they earned lots of badges that night, <laughs> right? But we survived, only to never talk about it again. That's the sake of our friendship, right? We're starting this brand new series, right? The Followers Trail Guide. And in the next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at John's 13 through 16, where we're going to study the, this portion of scripture called the Last Discourse. It's actually the last things that Jesus teaches his disciples in preparing them to follow him to the very end, wherever that end is. Um, and, and the goal that we have in studying this this set of scripture is to understand, is to really understand and bring clarity and direction in following Jesus in faith, especially when we're trapped and lost and don't know where we're going and don't know what we're doing. Because isn't that where we find ourselves most days in faith? We, we're, we hear the silence of God and it's deafening. We find ourselves doing things, walking with people that we never imagined walking with and being. 
But that is the life that we're called to. Thankfully, Jesus paves the way for us to follow. Jesus paves the way for us to follow. That's the big idea that we all need to take home today. And the reason he does that is because he loves us. Look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that's us, if that wasn't clear. If you're feeling like in your journey of faith, God has been silent. If you feel lost, remember that you are loved by God. If you feel like you've been burned by God, if you feel like you're alone and you don't deserve his love, remember that God chose you, right? And he continues to love you and me until we get to our final destination. And because he chose us, because he gave himself over to us, because we submitted ourselves to him the first time, it means that we follow Jesus. It means that we follow Jesus, and Jesus is going to teach us everything that we need, everything that we have wished for and dreamed of, to completely follow him in this faith journey. And so if you're holding on to disgrace, if you're holding on to sin, today is a day you let it go because that is not going to stop Jesus from loving you. That is not going to stop God from pursuing you, right? And so if you're sitting here with an unconfessed porn addiction, that means stop trying to hide it. Stop trying to hide it because it's occupying way too many of your thoughts, and you can't even function. But guess what? None of that mattered to Jesus. He's going to continue to love you. In fact, if you do confess that, you may even find yourself with other people who are wrapping their arms around you to walk with you, to help you. And if you're struggling with same-sex attraction that you've been wrestling with, confess it. Confess it to somebody because that is not going to stop God from loving you. It never has and it never will. And that goes for the addict. It goes for the junkie. It goes for the thief, the murderer, the liar, the coveter. It goes for all of us who are here, right? It even goes for those who don't have the self-awareness to know that they are self-righteous and pompous and judgmental. God is very aware of who we are. He knows what our sins are, yet he still came to rescue us, and he still calls us his own. He still comes to love us. That's what this body is, the church. The person sitting next to you is just as horrendous, undeserving of Jesus' love, but we all receive it. The person speaking now is a sinner, unjustified, undeserving of God's love, but here we are journeying together. This is a trail guide for us, for the faithful. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. You see, this is what Jesus does for the people he loves. It's intentional. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he exactly knew who they were, even if they were going to betray him. He didn't owe his disciples anything, and yet he shows them love by washing their feet. You see, Jesus paved the way as a servant, right? When Jesus took his nice clothes off, when a free Jewish man 
was stripped down to nothing but his undergarments to do the most menial labor in the first century. Everyone took notice. Culture shifted, right? Who does that? Nobody in the first century. No one does this for commoners who his disciples were. In fact, even Jewish slaves in the first century would not wash the feet of other men. This was reserved for the Gentile slave, right? Jesus was willing to be shamed. He was willing to be shamed in his posture of servitude, right? To love in such a way in the face of shame, to bow lower in humility to love somebody else, especially if you know that they are not worthy of your service. This is what Jesus modeled for us. This is what Jesus says is the way for us to follow. That is a type of love that we need to embody, unashamed of what the world thinks when we serve others. How many men in this room serve your wives that way? How many wives serve your husbands that way? Or how many parents serve your kids this way? Maybe how many of you actually serve your neighbors or your coworkers this way with that type of self-sacrificial love? And maybe there are some of us in this room that we have or we did or we do, but you know, that was many, many blood moons ago. We don't elevate anybody above ourselves. We like being served. We need to be served. We're better than to serve. And so we choose not to serve because we have a million other things that are better to do, that are much more worthy of our time. We have discipleship that has to happen. We have Bible study that has to be studied. But look at Jesus, the form of God. He emptied himself. He took on humanity to serve you and me with his life, with his life. So we follow Jesus by serving like Jesus. That's the way he has for us. Don't give away the privilege to serve others, especially if they are not deserving, because that was us when Jesus first came to us. And when we give away our privilege to serve others by not serving we're actually giving up our right to disciple and change the very culture we are praying and asking to change. You see, serving like Jesus is exactly not what you imagined. It gets dirty. It puts you in a place that's socially not acceptable, especially for someone of our socioeconomic stature. But this is what our Savior did. This is what our Savior is calling us to. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. You see, Peter is mad. He's mad because of who is serving him. His master should not have to serve him. Peter is mad at the other disciples because guess what? The other disciples, they were like, hey, why not? Right? And so Peter, he's so upset even at the other disciples. What kind of Messiah would stoop down this low? Doesn't Peter sound like those angry Christians you know who just hate and get so worked up because God offers forgiveness? Right? Like they, they want people to actually pay for their injustice. Right? And, and I, I don't know if you got people like that in your lives. I know I got plenty of those people. And if you don't have any people in your lives like that, just look in the mirror, right? Um, but I mean, this is what's happening, right? This is what Peter's doing. So in verse 8, Peter says to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, If I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. 
You see, the, the statement that Jesus is alluding to is actually, he, he's showing, he's giving us a foreshadow of the spiritual cleansing that's going to happen on Calvary, right? When he sacrifices himself as the Passover lamb, he's showing us that this is how we get apart because he is the blameless lamb of God, a sin offering to take away our sin. And anyone who believes that and receives that can come before God because without that offering, we shall surely die when we come before judgment in front of God because God is perfect. God is holy. And if we stood before him without the blood of Jesus cleansing us, we would die in eternity. We'd be condemned for eternity, right? And so as Jesus' blood washes over us, he gives us right standing before God. I know some of us, we, we grew up Christian, and you don't have a single bad bone in your body. You're not corrupt like me. You're not messed up like me. But I want us to wrap this around our heads because we, we're, we're, so think, we're so used to thinking that sin is doing. But sin is not wrongdoing. Sin is not wrongdoing. It's wrong being. Sin is wrong being. Sin is not being able to live up to what and who God created and called you to be. Sin is not being able to live in reference to God. And when you fail to be the way he created you to be in reference to who he is, then we've sinned, right? We need to be washed. We need to be cleaned by the blood of Jesus on the cross because it's the sin that separates us from God. But Jesus says, I'm not letting that separate you from me anymore. So Jesus paves the way for us to follow through his cleansing. Peter, just like Jesus said, he, he'd come to understand what Jesus was doing later in his life. He writes to the Christians scattered in the Roman Empire in the first century in 1 Peter chapter 1. You were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without a blemish or spot. Through him we are believers in God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We have no choice but to trust. Peter continues in, first, in chapter 2. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now have received mercy. You see, this is what Jesus' cleansing does. It gives all who share in him, his crucifixion, and eternity with the Father. You see, all of us, before we accepted Jesus, we were not God's people. We were not chosen by God. But the moment we accepted, the moment God said, I so love the world that I'm sending my only son to die for you, that you, if you would believe in him, that you would have eternal life, that is what made us his people. That is what gives us what we have, eternal glory with Jesus. Verse 9, I want us to pay attention here because John does, does something very subtle. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. And before we get into that confusing mess right there, I want us to see, right, that Peter's overreaction Peter's overreaction gave Jesus an opportunity to teach us about God, right? He gave us, he gave, he's given us an opportunity 
to know God theologically, right? This is what it is. He's not just talking about the salvific act of salvation, right, on the cross, paying for our sins, past, present, and future, right? Now he's talking about the ongoing cleansing of sins from our lives every single day that's happening the longer we are his followers. Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10, it says, the one who has bathed, right? And the one who has bathed is someone who receives the good news of Jesus Christ by faith and has the penalty of that sin taken away. Theologically, this is called justification, right? Justification is a legal term. And what it is is actually by grace alone, through faith alone, we're united to Jesus Christ because of his work on the cross, not because of anything we've done, but because we're given a legal standing that is righteous before God through Jesus Christ, right? That's what we have. Once we place our trust in our Savior, our justification is complete before God the Father. It's instantaneous and complete, That's it. End of story. But he says, Jesus continues in verse 10, except for his feet. And see, then and only then is that person completely clean. And the allusion that Jesus is making here is that even though you're clean, even though you have justification, you're still living in this world because none of us die the moment we give our lives to Jesus. Right? And if you travel around this dirty, dirty world living in it, taking one step anywhere will cause us to be dirty. It's going to cause our feet to get dirty. And so what Jesus is now talking about is called sanctification, right? And theologically, this is the definition of sanctification. It's the work of God's grace in our lives as we follow Jesus. You you see, God's spirit causes us to physically change our habits and our actions, to make us holy and become more like Jesus as we follow him. Right? And so as our feet are washed, the dirt and imperfections that we gathered from living in this world are washed away by God. And so I want us to see this because this is paradoxical, right? And so most religions and most of the world says you have to go earn your salvation. But Jesus gives us perfection. We're giving it to him. It's a gift. He gives it to us as a gift. And he says, you are perfect before God. Now, as you live this life, I'm going to make you that perfect person. And so that doesn't make sense, but that's exactly what's what's happening, right? And so that's how our faith works, because we are perfect before God. And so as we continue to follow him in faith, we become more perfect, more in his image. And this is what God does, right? This is why it's important for us to know that Jesus paved the way by giving us an example to follow. The journey of faith is towards holiness, It's not a one-and-done deal once we say Jesus is my Savior. It's a continuing act that happens. And verse 11 just continues to emphasize that point. You see, Judas was called one of his own. He says this in verse 2. But instead of being sanctified towards holiness, becoming more and more like Jesus, Judas was instead enticed by the devil. That's what John writes here, right? He's enticed by the devil towards unholiness. And we're going to examine this in depth next week. Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, 
but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You see, the example that Jesus is giving is not to literally wash the feet of the people next to you. But I know some of you, some of you really need a pedicure right now, right? But this is not what Jesus is talking about, right? The example that Jesus gives us is to live with faithful zeal through service towards others, right? Our faithful zeal must be married with a transparent humility that loves others sacrificially. That's the fruit of our salvation, That's our sanctification. That is the testimony that we have to a sinful, dying, and unbelieving culture. You see, head knowledge about who God is and what he does for us is worthless if it's not applied. Meaning that you and I can never become completely sanctified to who God wants us to be if we sit down gleefully just learning without applying. No Bible study is going to help you. We see, the gospel is equal part zeal and acts of justice through service. It's through zeal and acts of justice that changes the cultural equilibrium and shifts this world. This is what Jesus is teaching us, right? Jesus did what he wasn't supposed to do by taking on the posture of a servant, to die for unworthy sinners, to impute his righteousness on people that were enemies of his father. But this is the way of God. God chooses the weak and insignificant of this world and calls them his own to overthrow the world. This is who our God is. It was when we were least deserving and most aware of our inability to come before God that many of us even accepted Jesus as our Savior. This is how all of us became his followers. So my question to all of us today is this. Will you follow him? Will you follow Jesus in his way of humble service? Will you follow Jesus as a recipient of his cleansing? Will you follow Jesus in obedience? And if you're wondering how, open your eyes to the people right around you. Strip down in humility. Wash the dirty feet of the people you see. Give your entire self away. All of your pride, all your preconceptions, go get dirty. God will sanctify you in the process. Let's pray. Great God, you called us and received us as your own, not because we have some merit or because we have some claim, but because of your grace, because of your mercy. And Lord, we strain to follow your example. We can hardly accept the idea that you would be kneeling at our feet to wash us clean. God, we can't even imagine the type of humility that you had to embody, especially with the pressure of knowing that you would be betrayed and yet you continue to serve. Lord, I I pray for, for those of us here who are stunted in our sanctification of becoming like you. Lord, we accepted you as our God, but we haven't truly given over our lives, our habits, our addictions, our behaviors. Lord, by your Spirit's cleansing, God, help us hand it all over to you. Lord, we've been so enticed by other things and incorrectly measure what we have in you, God, that we wrestle. I ask that you lift those burdens from us. Help us be obedient to the way you modeled because we want the grace and peace that you offer to be multiplied in our lives. 
restore us, confirm in us and strengthen us your salvation, your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing.